Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there and a very warm welcome to another edition of Fight of My Life. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver here on TalkSport. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to be speaking to a prominent name in boxing about the defining fight of their career, the build-up, the story behind it, the aftermath, the whole lot. And I can tell you, today's show packs a real punch. I was living a double life. Boxing still attracts people, but I think you have to have a special desire and be a little bit crazy to go into boxing, to be truthful. It was a very hard situation. It's just like being in prison without bars because you have to live a certain regime of life. Throughout my whole life, I struggled with my identity. I love building fighters. I'm the David Moyes of boxing. I'm not the Mourinho of boxing. For me to accept Frank Maloney, the boxing promoter, actually is a female was one of the hardest things in my life. Do you know what? These guys out here, they've got no idea of the real world. I had to do it, because if I didn't do it, I'd be in a wooden box now. The Lennox lewis Shannon Briggs fight is scheduled for 12 rounds using the new standardised rules for all world championship fights. We were so surprised, not only at how fast Shannon started the fight, but how fast his hand speed was. A wounded man is a dangerous man, but it's at the best time to take him out. And that will be it. Four. Shannon Briggs will not get up from that. This is going to be one hell of a story. Before we hear from the legendary Frank Maloney, now Kelly Maloney, Spencer, what fight are we going to be talking about today on Fighting My Life? And just give us a, a little bit of background about your relationship with Kelly. Well, the fight we're going to be talking about tonight is Lennox Lewis versus Shannon Briggs. It was March the 28th, 1998 in Atlantic City for the WBC and lineal heavyweight title. A fight that Lennox was expected to win. It was a it, slugfest. It certainly was. He got rocked in the first round. He rocked again in the second round. Comeback. Had Briggs over on a couple of occasions. And a real exciting heavyweight fight. And one that Kelly Maloney said was the best fight that she had ever been involved in now. I've got a story about Kelly when, obviously, she was Frank. She was Frank at this time of this fight. Frank Maloney helped me along my way. He was on my journey through all my career. When I finished boxing, I spent a lot of time with Frank going up and down the country, partying with Frank, going out with Frank. And this whole time, there was this big secret that Frank had been keeping through his whole life. It wasn't something that happened towards the end of his life. It was something that he said he knew from an early age. And that was, he always felt that he was a woman. It was a shock to the boxing world. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this story yeah. with Kelly. And I, I would imagine it was a shock to you. But of course, uh, because you're a very reasonable guy and an intelligent man, that you accepted that. Perhaps a lot of people in boxing didn't, but I'm delighted to say, Spence, that joining us now on Fight of My Life is Kelly Maloney. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to talk about some of um, Lennox's old fights because I think you can only judge heavyweights in the era they're in. So when people sort of say, talk about Tyson Fury and AJ and they want to talk about Lennox Lewis, you can't really talk about them because they come from different eras. You can only fight the people that are in your era and in front of you. But I do believe 
boxing was in a bit of a doldrum after Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier and everything else. And then we had Riddick Bowe, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, an agent Mike Tyson that was coming back from prison. And it was just exciting. Ray Mercer. I mean, there's fighters that I could name that would have won heavyweight titles if they were around today. Yeah, Kelly, you chose Lennox Lewis versus Shannon Briggs. What was the reason for you choosing that fight and how did that fight come about? I chose that fight because I think it was one of Lennox's hardest fights. And I remember Lennox in his, his interview after and also sitting with me after when we talk about fights. He went, never get me one who can punch as hard as that again. <laughs> you know, I think he said up to that, Shannon Briggs was one of the hardest punches that he'd ever fought. And Briggs was from New York. And it was fascinating because the whole of New York wanted Lewis beat. You've got to remember, we were Brits on their territory. They'd been used to dominating the heavyweight division. Lennox, this, no one gave him the credit he deserved up to this fight. And I think after this, he started getting a bit much more credit. And, and we're talking about a young Shannon Briggs. We're not talking about the Shannon Briggs that people know today, that the young yeah. fight fans know today. We're talking about Shannon Briggs that was that wanted the title badly. And he gave Lennox Lewis a fight of his life for, um, yeah. I think it was four or five rounds. I think it was round five, wasn't it? He knocked him out. Oh. Yeah, we'll go through the fight in a minute, Kelly. And uh, uh, we're so looking forward to your memories of it. Just before we do that, I just deduce a little bit that you might have thought yourself, as, as a guy who put it together for Lennox, this fight, that there was a bit of jeopardy there, wasn't there? It, it could have been a banana skin in his career. Yeah, well, every fight's a banana skin because two heavyweights that are very fit and, and, and desperately want the title are in great condition. You know that there could be any, anything can happen in that fight, and that was the thing we had. People accused us of having easier fights, but this was a, this was a real fight. This was a New Yorker fighting. Atlantic City's a stone throw from New York. You know, HBO wanted Shannon Briggs to win. HBO were the ones who pushed Shannon Briggs onto us. Trust, if it was me, I wouldn't have taken the fight. But sometimes you're guided by, you know, you have to go with your TV company because they grade the opponents and depending on which grade you're looking at and what purse you're looking at. So, Kelly, the fight took place over in the United States. What was the reason for the fight taking place in the States? Is that where the biggest purse bids were? And what were the purse bids for that fight? Do you know what? I can't remember to be honest, but it was quite a. It was a good purse bid. Uh, I would. It wasn't a purse bid. It was a voluntary. So there was no. It was no going to purse bids. It was a voluntary. That's why we in our contract with HBO we had A, B, and C opponents, and Shannon Briggs was in the A opponents class, which was the highest income that we could get for a fight. And at that time, you couldn't match what the casinos would pay. And you know, Donald Trump was involved in this fight as well because it was though it was Caesars was the host hotel. Trump did own the convention centre at the time. I think he made a bigger entrance than the fighters. <laughs> <laughs> did you get to meet him, Kelly? Yeah, I met Trump on a couple of occasions, you know, and negotiated site fees with him on a couple of occasions. Well, that would have been interesting. Uh, he was a very interesting man to negotiate with. I was always with um, the late Dan Duva, who was my mentor in America of main events. In fairness to Dan, whenever we negotiate anything for Lennox he always flew me over to America so that I was there so that I could come back and tell the rest of the Lewis team exactly how negotiations went what involvement we had in them and you know everything was above board so there was no it wasn't like I hear stories about in boxing today the fight itself Shannon Briggs younger Lennox was a bit heavier by around a stone from memory had a much longer reach but Briggs had a reputation for being a big puncher. He was quick on his feet for a big man, really, really quick, that we saw in the first round. But when we come on to the fight, we'll talk more about that. But he also had, and I'm sure that you and Lennox knew this, he had a reputation, I think I'm right in saying Kelly and Spencer, for tiring pretty early mm. in fights. And that must have been a consideration when you're weighing up who you're going to put your fighter in with and um, whether they're going to fight so-and-so or not. Now, I think it was a little bit the other way around. He start, he always started slow and tried to come on strong. But this time he started very fast. He actually yeah. caught us out because our game plan with, obviously, Emmanuel Stewart was a great tactician and working with Harold Knight, we'd all sit in training camp and we'd all look at the fights and we'd all um, put our input into how Lennox's fight plan was planned. But Emmanuel had the final say. I mean, that was one of the reasons Lennox came in heavier because Emmanuel wanted him heavier. And, um, you know, to be honest, Shannon Briggs caught us on the hop with the fast start that he had. If you listen to the commentary of the American commentators, HBO, they were even surprised how fast he started. 
Yeah, did the confidence of Shannon Briggs surprise you? And and the tactics, as you said, Kelly, were unexpected from the Lewis camp. But did the confidence of Briggs, just a young fighter, 26 years of age, going in and, and, and he sort of dealt with the occasion quite well. Did the confidence of Briggs surprise Lennox? No, I don't think the confidence, because every fighter that fights for the heavyweight championship in the world has to believe he can win it, unless it's bum of the month time. But we, we never really done bum of the month with Lennox Lewis. You know, it was... Um, we knew every fight was dangerous, and we knew because HBO wanted him in that ring opposite us, we um, knew that this was a dangerous opponent. So from the word go, Lennox was physically and mentally prepared, and the team, you know, we worked really hard on keeping Lennox focused for that fight. Do you remember, Kelly, what the um, camp was like in the build-up to the fight? Was Lennox as normal as he always is, or was there a little extra effort put in because it was a defence of his WBC World Heavyweight title, or was it just business as usual? It was business as usual, but our camps were always designed for the occasion. Whichever fight we had at the time, we our, our plans were always designed around that fighter. Our sparring partners were always tried to pick to stimulate what sort of opponent we had in front of us, size-wise, tactic-wise. We were a very professional camp. You know, our camps were always eight weeks, and we went back to one of our favourite places up in the Poconos, where we always trained. And, you know, it, it's like home from home for us, and the people there were very good to us. So our camp was very smooth. It's a very good camp. Did he spend the whole time training over in the States or did he split it between England and America? Did he start his training camp here and then go over to the States? And what sort of sparring partners would we be talking about? Lennox was a, was the true professional. He would always keep himself in shape. If he wasn't fighting, he'd play tennis, he'd play basketball. I think he played during a few games of pool, didn't he, um, Spencer? <laughs> I actually, I've got some great stories about that. So Lennox obviously used to live near where I live. And I used to go to remember his brother, Dennis, who, who played a big part in Lennox's yeah. career as well. So I used to go and play snooker with Lennox in his house with him and Dennis. And, and, and Lennox couldn't get over the fact that I used to beat him on his own table. And I think wow. that lives with Lennox till today because every time I see him, he always mentions that game of snooker that we used to have. Yeah, so <laughs> I had some good good times with Lennox. I used to box on the... If you remember, Kelly, I used to box on the English legs and then and then they would switch over to America where Lennox was defending his title. So we'd done a few of those as well. So I built up a good relationship with Lennox. I know, and, uh, you know, you're lucky you got out, Spencer, because normally he would keep you there all the way until he beat you. <laughs> you know, that was one of the things in training camp. Our camps were always competitive. You know, when we went out running, everyone had to run, including the manager, which, you know, and I was always last, so I never bothered. Uh, <laughs> if you played Lennox in chess and you beat Lennox, you would stay there till he beat you, or Lennox accidentally fell on the table and knocked the ball over and the game had to restart. Lennox hated losing. People don't know that about Lennox, you know. He wanted to win at everything he'd done, and I think that's what made such a good fighter. From Brooklyn, New York, ladies and gentlemen, here is the challenger, Shannon Briggs. And across the ring, fighting out of the red corner, wearing gold, trimmed with red and green, ladies and gentlemen, from East London, England, presenting the reigning WBC heavyweight champion of the world, Lennox For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, from Caesars Atlantic City, let's get ready to It's a fight in my life. It's Talk Sports. Spencer Oliver and me, Russ Williams, we're talking to Kelly Maloney about the fight of her life, Lennox Lewis, and his defence of the WBC World Heavyweight title in Atlantic City against a younger Shannon Briggs. Quite an age difference, about six years between them. But Lewis, of course, was the champ. And in fact, this turned out to be a fight that I think made him a legend in waiting. But we'll come on to the nitty-gritty of the fight in just a moment. Kelly, um, let's get to the moment of the ring walk. And I think it's the first time that the American audience and the TV audience get to see you in that famous Union Jack suit. The ring walks 
had been done, and I noticed that Lennox was incredibly focused. Can you remember what Frank was thinking at that moment? I could hear the crowd going, USA, USA, USA. And I thought, I've never heard an American crowd so vocal because they were never really that noisy American crowds because most of the fights were always around um, Vegas, that area, or on the West Coast. And, you know, we'd had a couple in Atlantic City, but they never really fought a New Yorker. And I thought, my God, we are in the lines then. And, you know, Lennox always called himself the line, so I thought, this is it, Lennox, you're going to, tonight, we're either going to prove and really get America on our side or else we're going home with our tail between our legs but I was looking at Lennox and I could just see the focus on his face and I knew Shannon Briggs would have had to have knocked out Lennox and Lennox would have to be carried out on a stretcher to lose that title yeah Lennox looked extremely focused when he climbed through the ropes he was bobbing up and down in his usual style dancing to the music the bell goes for round one they both get off to a fast start. Lennox is looking for an early KO and Briggs catches him with a left hook. Lennox is stumbled and looks in trouble. And there Briggs almost knocks the champion down. Shannon Briggs believing that he has hurt Lewis on the attack. And Lewis is wobbly as Briggs chases him across the ring and Lewis holds on. What were you feeling at that stage, Kelly? Did you feel that you'd made a wrong decision? No, I looked at the corner, and Manuel told Lennox to move and grab. Lennox was very composed. He, as you say, he staggered back. We were so surprised, not only at how fast Shannon started the fight, but how fast his hand speed was as well. It was, against maybe something we underestimated. The hand speed, I mean, it was just, I don't know. It was just like my heart jumped out of my mouth, I suppose, you know. And flashbacks came to the McCall fight, obviously, so it was... Um, and that was Lennox's bit. only KO, the McCall fight, up yeah, to this point. At this point, yeah. But, you know, it was just... I mean, Lennox came out really fast behind his jab, looking to catch him. You know, he threw an overhand right. Briggs was backing off. And then Big stepped in and caught Lennox with, as you say, that perfect right hand. He tried to follow through the second right hand, but thank heavens, the second right. Lewis sort of took a slight step backwards. And then, you know, after about a minute, Lennox got back into the fight and started to control a little bit more with his jab. But Briggs just wouldn't back off. But no one can question Lennox Lewis's heart, Lennox Lewis's desire to be world champion. That's what I found in that fight. And, you know, and all of us after that fight realised that we had, Lennox Lewis was really maturing into a great champion and bringing on Emmanuel Stewart was the best thing the team done. We get to the end of round one. Lennox would look surprised when the bell went for the end of round one. He walks back to the corner. We got the late, great Emmanuel Stewart in the corner, giving him his instructions. You looked as surprised as everyone as well. What was the instructions from Emmanuel Stewart? Was he telling Lennox to get behind that jab to get into his boxing? I mean, there was worried faces all around after that first round. Yeah, no, he was. He said, Lennox, you know, you've got the best jab in the division. Use the jab. Set him up for your right hand. Don't go rushing in with the right hand. You know, Lennox, I think Lennox just wanted to take Briggs out. I mean, you know, if you count the amount of right hands he threw in that first round, they were quite amazing, you know. And though Lennox was focused and composed, it was like his composure went out in that first round because he was just, I think he went out like an angry dog. The way I could describe it, he went out like a pit bull terrier, ready to rip his opponent apart. Mm. So we get to the start of round two and what is a mini nightmare. Slightly continues, Briggs landing another good left hook. Briggs really seemed to be going all out for a KO. He smelled blood, didn't he? And he thought he could win the fight. But all of a sudden, Lennox started to get more confident, took control of the round. Do you feel that that was the turning point? Obviously, you know, Lennox, in the first, go back to the first round again, Lennox got caught again towards the end of the first round and stumbled a little bit. And I think when Biggs didn't knock Lennox out that round, you know, that was, and he came out the second round really fast, to, as you say, to try and take Lennox out. He never got to Lennox. I think that's when Lennox realised, you know, he'd taken Biggs' best shots and, and Biggs wasn't going to hurt him. Lennox was very good at listening to Emmanuel. It was very hard to explain their relationship. Lewis was very focused, even when he's sitting in the corner, but it was as if he zoomed in on, onto Emmanuel's voice. You know, Harold Knight was in the corner as well, and he would always... Harold and Emmanuel would talk before they went up, and they were always supposed... That was the beauty of that corner. They both said the same thing. And if Lennox looked at Harold, he would just say exactly what Emmanuel had said. It just that Lennox got that jab working in the second round, you know, and, and he, he became... Um, he he became in control of the fight. And maybe, you know, 
Big's not used to starting so quick. Wasn't able to keep that pace up. Who knows? So we get through the first two rounds. We've had drama. We've had excitement. We hit the round three. Lennox comes out in round three, and, and all of a sudden we see a different Lennox. He starts establishing his jab. He's landing big right hands. At this stage, Kelly, did you feel that Lennox had turned a big corner and he was in control of this fight? Well, I realised Lennox had got back to what he was good at, boxing behind that jab and opening, and opening up opponents. But you still had to worry about Shannon Briggs. You know, he Briggs hadn't been on the floor yet. Briggs was still in there fighting. The crowd was still roaring Briggs on. You know, we had an English basic support, but not, not the same support that, you know, you'd have in England or the same support we had as Lennox's career developed. I think more and more people started to believe in Lennox after this fight. Because up to this fight, even the English press wasn't that keen on Lennox Lewis, if we're honest. I mean, they just like following him because they got trips to America, you know, in the, in, in the good old days. And you had great boxing writers. so, And they were always trying to, you know, you had certain reporters who always played Lennox on that Canadian connections. And, and I think that damaged Lennox with the British public. But this fight, and as you say, the Union Jack suit totally changed all that. Lennox became an icon to the British public. Was was that the the reason for you wearing that Union Jack suit? Because you wanted to re- win the British fans over because obviously Lennox had won the gold medal in the Olympics. I think it was the 88 Olympics for Canada. And then he was boxing over here for England. Is that Was that part of the plan with the Union Jack suit to win the British public over? Yeah, and it was also to take pressure off us. You know, Lennox... As people know, never really liked doing lots of interviews, lots of store, you know, the press. Lennox was a very reserved fighter. You know, he'd only let the press know what he wanted them to know and talk about his fight. And we talked in the camp of trying to get ways of getting pressure off of Lennox. And I came up with the idea with a marketing team to wear a Union Jack suit because it would put the focus more on what I was wearing in the ring. The American press would ask why I was wearing a Union Jack suit. And I said, well, Don King carries stars and striped flags and down his collar so why can't I have a suit and it was also the British public loved it the British yeah. public recognised that suit I mean still today people talk to me and say hey have you still got that suit have you my daughter's got it my oh, daughter's got lovely. it lovely well we get back to the fight we're in round four and by this time Lennox has started taking control he lands a big left hook has Briggs in trouble pushes Briggs back Briggs gets caught with a big right hand and goes down Briggs has wobbled every tick is a tick in Shannon Briggs' favor. Yeah, but that wasn't in Tannen Briggs' favor. <laughs> that was more than a tick. That was a top. <laughs> he gets up, he weathers the storm, and he goes back at Lennox, hits Lennox with a big left hook. At this point, Lennox smiles at him, comes back with another big shot and goes down again. Did you think, Kelly, at this stage, the fight was all but over? I knew it was turning corners. You know, um, Lennox was now in total control. He, you know, Once you see that smile... It's like a line going in for the kill, isn't it? He's got his praise hurt. He knows that he's got to take him on the fence. And the one thing Emmanuel Stewart always installed in Lennox Lewis, and I know that with any fighter, because he used to have other... He used to go, if you've got your opponent hurt, do not let him off the hook. Do not step back. Just go at him and take him out. A wounded man is a dangerous man, but it's at the best time to take him out. Hard left hand by Briggs. Lewis is hurt. that he's all right. The fight still wasn't won. Briggs had gone back to his corner and the crowd were up on their feet. Again, that was that famous chant of USA, USA. Yeah. Even the HBO people were cheering for Shannon Briggs. That's how bad it was. <laughs> you felt like you were surrounded uh, at the time. Both guys, round five, trading punches and then a big right, and it was a big right from Lennox, puts Briggs down. Now, when you have an opponent like Briggs... Lennox finishes him off. Frankie Cappuccino, the referee, jumps in and says, enough. Riggs begging Cappuccino for another chance. But he was already in the danger zone. Let me tell you, for boxing, that was a must-have fight. What was a risky fight for Lennox had turned out well. Yeah, I mean, you know, American referees intend to let you fight a bit more than... I suppose our British counterparts do. Briggs was on his feet after the knockdowns in round four, so he allowed the fight to go on, and and that's what public want to see. The public pay for that. You know, you don't want to see people get badly hurt in a ring, but it is heavyweight boxing is about 
two of the biggest guys in the world, two of the best guys, and about people love knockouts in heavyweight fights. That's why people go and watch them. Kelly, we saw you jump straight in the ring as soon as the fight was over. You went straight up to Lennox. What was that initial conversation? Can you remember what that conversation was? I was like just excited and I said, Lennox, you've done it. You've shut them up. Look, the crowd, the USA had stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel that he won the US public over at at that stage? Because it was a very anti-Lennox Lewis crowd in there. As you said, Shannon Briggs was a big hometown favourite. Do you think he won a few fans that night? Yeah, I think he did. And also, you know, the British contingent was there, then took over and it became great. It was like um, being away with your favourite football team. You'd hear different football songs. You'd see the Union Jacks waving, which up until round four had slightly disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the fight, you must have felt a bit like Christmas had come because the sky was the limit, wasn't it, for Lennox Lewis after that fight? Yeah, but I knew HBO had someone else in the, in mind for Lennox Lewis. They either wanted Evander Holyfield or Michael Grant. And, and I was just thinking, I hope they push Michael Grant because that would be the most easiest fight in Lennox's career. Jumping fights, it was the most easiest fight in Lennox's career. That's why I didn't pick that fight. That was a great knockout. And, and again, it put HBO, you know, because HBO were always trying to get Lennox Lewis beat. I don't care what they say or how much they say they loved Lennox. They wanted the title back in the USA. I just want to ask you, Kelly, what was it like working with Don King? I'm sure you've got stories as as long as your arm, but give us an idea what it's like to negotiate with him, deal with Don King, a notoriously difficult character, slightly shady past. How did you find it? I found it very interesting. I found it quite amusing. Don King's tactic was to wear you down. I mean, I remember when we were doing the Evander Holyfield negotiations, we were in his office for nearly 15 hours and he would just keep bringing food in and Don King would go out of his office. I don't know how true it was, but I was always told there was mics in Don King's ceiling to be very careful. And when like my team started talking about that and I put my hand up to my lips and went, if we're going to talk, let's go outside. And I pointed up to the ceiling and our American lawyer nodded his head because I'm sure King would go out and sit in the room and listen to our conversation. <laughs> Everyone says that. I was always extra cautious around Don King, but I liked Don King because he was such a character. He had so much energy, so much... Um, he made a promotion. He, he had he so made... much charisma, didn't he? He was so charismatic. I mean, we haven't got promoters like that today, you know, and I was no. lucky to have the opportunity to work with him and learn from him. You know, and then we had the opposite in our promoter, Dan Duver. He taught me how to deal with Don King. He went... Frank, just sit there, let King run, let King rave, let him shout. And then at the end say, Don, we're not doing none of that. Oh, we'll take that out of the contract. We'll put that in the contract. We'll do that, but that's coming out. And that's how we used to work with um, Don King. Because the first time was he won Lennox's purse bid for the very first world title fight when Lennox was given the title because of the Riddick Bowe situation. And we had to go and fight, was it Tony Las Vegas? Tony Tucker, Uh, was it? Yes, that's it. And I remember King in the court the day of the fight and there was a brand new Mercedes sports car. Then King came by and he had the keys and he was swirling and he went, Maloney, see what I've got my fighter when he beats your man's ass and you'll be out of work. And Tony walked past and he threw the keys at and went, that's yours, champ, because a champ should have a great car. Well, at the end of the fight, King got in the ring when the fight was over and he really laid into Tucker. But you didn't. You should have died on your shield. You're a champ. You were fighting for the world title. You describe. Give me them keys back. You. I won't use the words he used. You know. Yeah. And he took the keys. He, he took the keys back off him. Coming up on Fight of My Life on Talk Sport. What are you talking about? What me, Frank Maloney? I said, you know how much I like little blonde girls. And here's me looking like a little blonde girl. 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Frank Maloney, the former boxing promoter who guided Lennox Lewis to the world heavyweight title, has revealed that he's undergoing gender reassignment and now lives as a woman called Kelly. Maloney drew broad support from the boxing world after disclosing that she'd undergone hormone therapy, hair removal electrolysis, voice coaching and specialist counselling for the last two years. Finding My Life with Spencer Oliver, Russ Williams and Kelly Maloney. And Kelly's fight of her life was Lennox Lewis against Shannon Briggs. Stopped in the fifth round by the ref, Frankie Cappuccino. Still love that name. And uh, Lennox retaining his WBC World Heavyweight Champion. As we know, Lennox went on to become a true boxing legend and icon. It was kind of lift-off for his career, that fight. And... Um, as we all know, Kelly, at the time, you were Frank and now and have been for quite a few years, uh, Kelly. I've been reading up quite a bit about you and Spencer obviously has a, a long-standing relationship with you. Is it true that for four years before you made the transition, you actually lived as a woman in private? Yes, yes. I was living a double life. It was a very hard situation, very, very emotional. Throughout my whole life, I struggled with my identity. I knew Frank Maloney, the boxing promoter, uh, Frank Maloney, the boxing manager, and that's the thing that kept me sane. I think that's why I worked 24-7. The passion for the job kept me sane. And I had a beautiful family. You know, I was very much in love with my, with my partner, Tracy, who shared my journey with me. And I'm glad to say we're still very close and very good friends. But... Beneath that, I was lying to everybody because I knew from a very early age that I was different and I, I didn't know why until I, I found out and understood more about it. I lived in fear. I lived in fear of being exposed, of making a mistake. And, you know, and, so, and somebody it, informed the press what you were doing and that was devastating for you, wasn't it? Because you hadn't even introduced Kelly to all of your daughters. No, I was living a very private life in Maidstone, Kent. The only daughter that knew was my eldest daughter, Emma, because she was my solid rock throughout my whole journey and also my ex-partner, Tracy. No one else knew. People who met Frank, because Frank was still around, because I, I was still working with David Price at certain points at the time and other, a couple of other fighters. So Frank would appear and then Frank would disappear for a while and I could run my business on autopilot because of I'd been doing it so long and if I'm honest I'd lost the passion for the business which I'm sad to say I'd lost that desire but David Price kept me going because I believe we could have got to the heavyweight title I'm not saying we would have won it but I had experience at manoeuvring fighters and it was just that he took the second Thompson fight against my advice and that's when it sort of ended and then people who met Kelly never knew who Frank was you know I used to go to a support group I'd go out for coffee I had a couple of friends and, and I know they used to always guess and I used to tell them I was a personal trainer because they used to ask me and I used to say I had no family and one person actually thought I was a famous jockey my whole plan was to just totally disappear after a period of time and when I told my family and come and live here in Portugal at my house and just live a very quiet life and if people asked where Frank Maloney was my daughters was going to say oh dad's gone traveling around the world but then 
then it got to a point where they would have had to live a lie all their life. We sort of were trying to see how we could deal with this, but our hands were forced in the end to come out publicly. Kelly, I knew Frank very, very well. You used to look after me when you was Frank. You looked after my career, guided my career, promoted me in all my title fights. We built up a great relationship. I never had any idea that what you was going through at that time. I remember speaking to you about it and you used to say that we used to go out as lads, all of us, going have fun, going to get drunk, etc. And, and just living normal lads' life. But you used to tell us that when you got back to the hotel, it would be very difficult for you when you shut that door because of what you was going through. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I used to have a very close group of people. Tommy Pratt from Suffolk's Metals. Remember Tommy? That used to be my financier in boxing I once. Remember I Tommy was... well, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Tommy used to take me out. We'd go to lap dancing clubs. We'd go to nightclubs, you know. And they were forever trying to, though we were all married, you know, you know what guys are out there, any girls that come along you chat to, you might try and flirt with. And people go, oh, do you know that's Frank Maloney, you know. And, and they used to go to me, how come you never really show much interest in girls, you know. And I go, well, I've got a beautiful wife at home. You know, I, I, I don't want to play the field. It used to be really hard. I remember once after one big night out, we went to some lap dancing club and... And they were all drinking champagne and I just couldn't drink. I just didn't want to be there. And I asked for a cup of tea. (laughs) And everyone knew that my partner was small and blonde, you know, and most of the girls I talked to were small and blonde. And they sort of picked out this girl and they all paid for a private dance for me to go. And so this girl took me by the hand and we sat and she went, what's wrong? Are you gay? And I went, no. She went, well, why can't I interest you? She said, you know, I can interest any man. And I just sort of said, do you know what? I've got a wife and daughter. I said, and I'm so much in love with her. And and I was talking the truth. I said, I just come here because it's business. We were actually doing a deal with someone else, a boxing deal. And I, I said, you know, I don't mean to be rude. I said, look, you've had your money. Let's just talk if you want to talk. And she looks at me and she went, I wish all my clients were like you. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any facets or traits of Frank Kelly that you admire still? Yeah, I I think, you know, the transgender community is still under quite a lot of attack. You know, we're there, but we're not fully accepted. And, you know, you get a lot of these keyboard warriors that come out on Twitter. If you read my account sometimes, and if I comment on boxing, there's some amazing people come back with some great comments and quite nasty comments. And, And I think that Frank made me strong enough to deal with all those. Go back talking about the likes of Don King, the Bob Arons of this world, the Frank Warrens of this world, the Barry Hearns. Having to deal with them gave me a strong personality. There's still quite a bit of Frank in me. Um, someone said that to me the other day. They went, you're still stubborn like Frank, aren't you? But in other ways, I, I am totally different. A lot of trans people hate to talk about their past. I will never not talk about my past because you can run from your past, but you can't hide from your past. So I'm always going to be Frank Maloney. I'm always going to be the father of three beautiful girls. And I'm going to be the first English boxing manager to manage the undisputed heavyweight champion in the world in 100 years. And I don't want to run from that because to me that was a great... I would love to have done that as Kelly, but it was impossible. Do you ever miss being Frank? And another question that I have to ask you is, do you ever have any regrets about making that transition from Frank to Kelly? Has that ever played a part? No, I have no regrets at all because Kelly, who I should have been born as a female, and I'm, you know, I'm a much happier person now, much more contented. I'm able to deal with a lot more things. In a little way, Frank was a bit of a bully around people sometimes, also quite a little bit arrogant. Well, I think quite, <laughs> quite arrogant, if I'm honest. <laughs> I um, remember having a few dealings with Frank <laughs> myself, actually. Um, So that side of me has totally changed because now I don't have to prove anything to anybody. And more so, I'm not living a lie to myself. That was the hardest thing, living a lie to myself. Because I'd get up in the morning and I'd put on this suit. It was like I was on the stage and I'd go out and I'd act to be this macho little man from South East London. I remember one girl that I went out with for a little while because I always thought it's always great to have a girl in my life because it would always keep the people away from me. This was in before I met Tracy. And her parents actually thought I was some South London gangster. You know, they, oh, Frankie Maloney, the boxing promoter. And I would play on images like that. 
because it, it gave me that tough boy image that, as you say, Spence, and no one ever knew, you know. I think mm. one of my secretaries might have had a, a slight idea I was a little bit different because I would disappear every so often and I quite trusted my secretaries and I would tell them things that I would, but I wouldn't fill them in complete details. You must have known, Kelly, because... You know, when we were talking about Lennox's fight against Shannon Briggs and uh, you introducing the Union Jack suit and what have you, you were pretty crafty, sort of using the media. You must have known that when that story leaked, going from Frank to becoming Kelly was really going to be huge. Was it even bigger than you imagined? It was a lot bigger than I imagined. I thought it would only last for a week or so. One of the things that was the biggest concern also was protecting my family. This journey wasn't just about me once it became public. It became about my family as well. There was press outside my daughter's school. There was a press guy followed my young middle daughter into a nightclub at the time and bought her a bottle of champagne and started chatting her up and started asking her questions. And She realised what was going on. They phoned up my partner's brother. They phoned up my partner's sister. Because none of them knew about the story. Once we knew the pressure, we had to start telling them. They were outside Emma's house. They kept following Emma to find out. And you have to remember, once I knew the press had the story, I had to lock Kelly away again and Frank had to come out. And that was one of the hardest things ever because I was well into my treatment. I was on my hormones and I sort of partly had locked mainly Frank away. There wasn't a lot of Frank left. So at this uh, stage you was already going to make the transition. You had already started the treatments etc. Yeah I started the treatments when I was managing David Price. I will tell you a funny a very funny interview <laughs> story. I was had to go to Box Nation because you know at that time they had signed David Price. That We'd signed a contract with them and I think it was the first Thompson fight or was it the second one? It was one of the Thompson fights and I was going to be interviewed on the Buncey show with Buncey and Steve Lillis but that afternoon I had a meeting with my gender doctor. Now my gender doctor still had never met Frank so I always went as Kelly I was dressed as Kelly and I went to Ke as Kelly to see my doctor and I took my counsellor with me because obviously you have to prove that you've been having counselling and you've had everything else. This was my appointment to, to see if I was if they were, would allow me to go onto hormones to see if that if I was genuine a transgender person. And obviously the meeting over ran and it was pouring down with rain and I was driving my mini that had the Union Jack logos on it at the time and I got into the mini and I and I looked at the title and I went. I haven't got time to go home and get changed. I've got to be over at Box Nation. And I went, I can't go like this. I'm fully dressed as Kelly, makeup. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. And I drove to a garage. Battersea, you know Battersea Park? There's a big garage there, just by the That's railway right. arch. I drove into the garage. I parked into the, the garage. I, I took my carrier bag. And I saw people see me. And I sort of walked into the toilet as Kelly. And Frank Maloney walked out of the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you was obviously a recognisable figure around those parts as well. Yeah, but I was just praying that the people that saw Kelly going had already left the... <laughs> yeah, Except for the people behind the counter. But I sort of threw a... I put my hand up to my face as I walked past the counter. And I got in there and my counsellor went, my God. And, you know, and all the way, I kept looking in the mirror to make sure I'd taken all the makeup off. There was nothing on my face. Sitting in front of Buncey and Lily's with the camera. <laughs> I was, like, mortified. That, I think, was one of the most stressful days of my life in my transitioning. And I've never really spoke about that before until today. Kelly, how do you think the boxing world took the news of, of your transition from Frank to Kelly? Because it was a big shock for us in the media side of things. We were very surprised to hear the news, especially me and you, because we go back such a long way. We go back 30-odd years and, you know, we've known each other quite close. I had no idea at all. How do you think the boxing world took the news? Well, I planned to, because of my, going back to the very first question, my media training, in the end, we realised that we could not keep this a secret anymore, that we had to control the narrative and take control of the situation. And I had a great team around me, you know, my daughter, I had bought on a PR company to help me. And um, obviously my lawyer, who you know, Neil Sibley, who's, who is still my lawyer. And we met and we worked out that we should this is how we would go about it. So obviously Neil and my daughter met with all the papers and eventually they agreed with a newspaper what who we would go with and how the story would go. And I think it came out on August the 12th or August Sunday, August the 12th or the 14th. I'm not sure. It was one of those two days. But on that Saturday before that, there was a big fight that night. And I decided to 
take myself to Cornwall and I'd rented a very a cottage in the middle of in Cornwall somewhere so no one would ever know where I was and I took with me a girl from my support group and I told her what was going to happen I said look my story's going to break tomorrow and she said well if you need company I'll come with you a lovely sweet lady who unfortunately died and her family would never recognize her as a female so we were driving down in the car and the phone rings and it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and he went Alan Hubbard Alan Hubbard it was and I bet he can verify this story, Alan. He will verify this story. He phoned me and he went, uh, Frank. I went, hello. He said, it's Alan here. He said, hey, we're at ringside here just setting up for tonight's big fight. And I went, oh, yeah. He went, and there's this story buzzing around that you're, um, you're changing your sex. And I said, sorry? Because obviously we, the deal was to keep it quiet and not let it out before the paper run their story. And I went, what are you talking about? What, me, Frank Maloney? I said, you know how much I like little blonde girls. Here's me looking like a little blonde girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm actually in my house in Portugal. I said, you know, I said, that's why I'm not at the fight tonight. I'll take it on. He went, I knew this was a load of <laughs> And I, I put the phone, I turned the phone, and my friend looked at me. She went, my God, you're Frank Maloney, the boxing promoter. She went, now the mystery's falling into place. Why, you're always so secretive. No one was invited to your house. You turned up at the groups. You came for coffee and you disappeared. And I went, yeah. She went, this is going to be one hell of a story. I went, oh, please don't say that. It's a fight in my life, Russ Williams, Spencer Oliver and Kelly Maloney. You are listening to Talk Sport. Uh, We went through Kelly's choice of the fight of her life. When Kelly was Frank Maloney, of course, it was Lennox Lewis retaining his WBC World Heavyweight Championship against the New Yorker Shannon Briggs in Atlantic City. What a slugfest it was. And, of course, Kelly, um, after sort of uh, pulling yourself a little away from the limelight you still retain an interest obviously in the sport that you love which is boxing and uh, I know that you've got two or three young boxers under your wing I just want to share with our audience something that really stood out to me when I was reading about you and it's a direct quote I hope you don't mind this is what Kelly says I used to throw my toys out the pram in negotiations now I just flutter my eyelashes. I wonder how Don King would have reacted to that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it would have been interesting, wouldn't it? I don't know. I mean, I actually don't flutter my eyelashes, but I don't throw my toys out of the prams no more. I listen a lot more. I don't shout and scream in negotiations no more. I only look after, at the moment, one girl that's active. I've just got another two girls I'm about to sign, but obviously with this COVID-19, I'm not sure what to do or what's going to happen with boxing you know I I do want to go back into promoting even if I only promote one fight I just want to promote a fight as Kelly Maloney just to prove that Kelly can do it (laughs) and at the moment I'm losing a bit of interest in boxing because we can't do anything in boxing and that's a sad thing and I feel sorry for the fighters who are not with the likes of Eddie Hearns or the bigger guys MTK or Frank Warren you know they're the only three that have seemed to be working at the moment it's very hard, you know, I've said to my young fighter, if things don't change, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe it's better that you contact one of the bigger promoters and see if they'll take you on because you can't stop a person from earning a living anymore. When you were Frank Maloney, because of your status and, and what you'd achieved in the sport, I would imagine everybody wanted to be your friend. When you became Kelly Maloney, did you lose many of your friends in boxing? Yeah, I did. I'm not going to name the ones. And I lost a couple of people I had never thought That must have hurt. It did because these couple of people, I actually helped them when they were in trouble. You know, and I just felt, you know what, if you have a crisis in your family, well, I know how you deal with it because I I helped you in certain situations. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to hold it against them. But I've even had one of them say to me, one of his friends phoned me and went, do you know what, he just doesn't understand because he's a real man's man. And I said, sorry, well, what's a real man's man? let's live in the real world here I've not had a brain transplant I've not grown two horns what I've done is corrected something that was wrong at my birth if I'd had a 
a hole in my heart or a kidney missing or an arm. The doctors would have done that as a baby because they could have seen it and I would have lived a normal and everyone would have said, what a great surgeon, how lucky you are. You can't see into the brain when you're born. So no one knows how your brain develops. It develops as you get older. And obviously I was born with a female brain and that was one of the hardest things in the world for me. It was hard for me to accept it. Never mind anyone else. For me to accept Frank Maloney, the boxing promoter, actually is a female, was one of the hardest things in in my life, you know. And I had to do it because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. I, I'd be in a wooden box now. Kelly, I know how difficult this whole journey has been for you. And I know one friend that you've definitely kept in boxing who you're talking to right now. We've stayed close right through the whole transition. And there's a question, and the last question I want to ask you, Kelly, is if you could change anything in your career, what would it be? I would like to have been born as Kelly. That's probably the only thing I'd like. But then, or I would like to have been able to transition very early and maybe not live in the public media. But then I would never have had my daughters, so... I have to look at the situation. I was very lucky that I had three beautiful daughters that came on my journey, that have stood by me, and are still in my life. You know, Frank Maloney, I had a bit of luck becoming the manager of Lennox Lewis and becoming one of Britain's best promoters. As Kelly, I've got a beautiful family still in my life where some transgender people lose their families. Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Fight of My Life. I know that all three of your daughters said to your dad, we prefer you being Kelly than being Frank. Uh, be happy, be strong, stay safe in these uh, unusual times and thank you for being with us on Fight of My Life. No, thank you for having me. Well, that was Kelly Maloney on Fight of My Life. Stay tuned to Talk Sport. Plenty more boxing life stories on the way from myself, Spencer and Kelly. It's goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 